2020, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Welcome to Amped Up with Proud Resistor. This is progressive activist Ryan Knight. And I'm Chris LaVoy of The Stephanie Miller Show. And our guest today is the former Democratic Party chair in Cobb County. He is a veteran and he's running for Congress in Georgia's 13th District. Michael Owens, welcome to Amped Up. Oh, thank you, Ryan. Happy to be here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, you bet. You know, first, I just want to thank you for your service to our country. Mm-hmm. And for running for Congress to bring bold, progressive change to Georgia. Uh, and before we talk about why you're running, you know, I got to get your take on what's happening right now in our country and yeah. in the world. You know, as a veteran who has honorably served our country, what goes through your mind when the president of the United States is bringing our country to the brink of an illegal war and putting our troops in harm's way without congressional approval? Yeah, well, the, the first thing, uh, without a doubt, that goes through my mind is uh, the military families, right? The, yep. the women, men, and children that are that are directly impacted by this. Uh, that that has to be the first thing you think about. You know, I mean, war is is, is no joke. Whether you know it's it's um, anywhere in the world, no matter what the conflict is, there's there's activities that take place that that hit a level um, of activity where we know we're going to have to deploy troops men and women on the ground, and, and that's always got to be the first thing we think about, right? It's, it's a humanitarian aspect, um, you know, of basic humanity. And, and when we look at, you know, what's going on, what Trump's doing, look, we know he's unhinged. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. We know that the decision-making process that he goes through, we all wonder, um, you know, if, if there's anything. We've talked before about, you know, going into war and when we should, when we should go into war, when we should intervene in, in other conflicts and skirmishes around the world. Um, but I, I take this, and I understand this as, as, a, as a preemptive thing, um, with, particularly with Iran, um, that, yes, I agree with you. It's not only taking us to the brink of war. Um, you know, this is an attack, an assassination that was taken out on a leader of a foreign government. Um, you know, it's not a, a, just a terrorist group um, that uh, was on some terrorist watch list and, uh, you know, was on FBI or one most wanted. We know Suleimani is, was, was a, a horrendous leader right we understand the background and a lot of things that's taken place um but but this was an activity that was done as you said without without the notification or or definitely the approval of congress uh to take out a high-ranking military leader of a country right um, of a foreign adversary at that right um so that to me you you do not do that unless you're absolutely prepared to go to war And and if if that is what the white house is doing preparing to go to war then he absolutely must 
uh, you know, go through the, the uh, war powers to seek uh, approval from Congress, which he did not do. Not only that, you know, again, the misunderstanding or that the the consistent uh, negligence that he shows for all things uh, related to humanity is what bothers me and scares me. He's no problem putting, you know, millions of people's lives at risk, but yet it's something that he never served as a veteran. And don't get me wrong, right? right. People who have not served, it's not meant to denigrate them. Um, it is that, you know, the understanding of, of sending people to war, and, and not only that, you know, this talk now about um, going after cultural sites, which obviously is another uh, a war crime that he's potentially wanting to uh, inflict, and in which he shows, you know, he's callous about it. And you know, right. so you start to combine all those things together, um, you know, the, the lies that he's told over and over and over again, these, these, these myths that he just makes up, um, you know, really, really bothers me. I think it bothers the majority of the American people. I just saw some polls earlier today where it showed the overwhelming vast majority of Americans um, do not want to go to war. But look, we're, we're still in the midst of, of war in Afghanistan, where it's gone on for 18, 19 years. And, you know, Trump has promised to bring our troops home and, you know, and all this big, you know, um, pageantry that he likes to show for, for veterans. And I can tell you, you know, the vast majority of veterans that I know um, have very little respect for this man. And, you know, speaking as someone who served uh, under Republicans and Democrats in, in the White House and as chief of uh, as, as chief of command or, or, or yeah, I don't. You know, it was never that big of an issue with me as to who our president was. It was that we felt comfortable about what our missions were. Uh, we knew that we were acting on natural interests and, and our national security, and that's what our missions were based around. Right. You know, with this president, I, I, don't, I don't believe that our missions are based around that. Uh, I think he's proven himself to be petty, and he's proven himself to be immature and childish in, in how he goes about making his decisions and not listening to... Uh, people who, quite frankly, have a much better understanding of these things than he did. All right. You mean the generals? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know it, it, I know more than the generals know. Right. He knows uh, more know, than the generals. They're listening to them. Exactly. <laughs> well, look, one thing that really troubled me over the weekend is someone in the media asked him, a, a, asked him basically if he had a plan, right, or a strategy. And he literally turned to the camera and he said, I don't need an exit strategy. And that, to me is the is the problem with this president that he would put our troops in harm's way without having a strategy or a plan on how to get him back out right and let's also not forget that he's going back on one of his signature campaign promises that w one of his promises was that he was going to end these endless wars and now he's trying to get us into another one yeah yeah there, there's very little strategy that goes around it i mean but but that's <laughs> That's emblematic of how his entire presidency has been. Right. It's all been. That's why. That's why I said immature and, and, and impetuous in a lot of ways because it's about what what kind of gratification uh, can happen from right now. What kind of you know what can I do right now to, to address what's happening and show strength. And you know that's one thing that really bothers me. And and you know my my background and career is a lot in in cybersecurity and national security and understanding how our national interests are, are to be protected. And I don't think our president takes that into account at all when he's when he's working through these. You know, the, the idea of assassinating a foreign leader, what the outcome of that to be and, and how that could almost lead to imminent war. Um, I don't think he, he looked at that. I think, he, you know, as he said in one of his tweets afterwards, hey, I, you know, I've spent trillions of dollars of, of money in military building our military apparatus and. 
you know, and, and no one's going to mess with us. And they do, they come and they will get the fire and fury, right? That, that's a, you know, that's a very um, callous way of looking at it. It's a very, you know, as you mentioned before, a very uh, unstrategic way of looking at it. I, I believe in, in, you know, the concept of smart power, right? Um, mm-hmm. I do believe that we should have a strong military. Um, I am a proud veteran. I'm a third-generation wartime veteran. I'm proud of that. But I also believe firmly is that we should lead with diplomacy, right? And we should always seek the com- diplomatic uh, solutions to problems. And, and as I'm sure you and all of our listeners know, is that President Trump has literally gutted out uh, our, our – um, the entire State, State Department. Department yeah. right? Right. The entire State Department has been gutted. There has been, you know, career foreign service officers that have served, again, under, under Democrats and Republicans for decades that, that has resigned since he came on board because of his activity. Uh, there's been plenty of posts that's gone without being filled. Um, we know this, this um, the whole background that we have of uh, giving diplomatic posts to bundlers and people who raise, you know, an insane amount of money. Uh, continues on under his uh, under his presidency. I wish that would completely stop Democrats and Republicans. You know, I, I don't believe that we should uh, basically give away diplomatic posts, ambassadors at that, simply because someone's has raised a lot of money for a candidate. Right. That, that, right. That's Agreed. Not one of those. That's not those, those those bad parts. And when we talk about getting money out of politics, uh, you know, we we focus a lot on you know the federal lobbyists and and the PACs you know that are out there, the corporate PACs. But we also should look at you know things like this because times like now is when you know we look around the world and go, where do we have these ambassadors and what are their backgrounds? And it's like, oh well, <laughs> they were a bundler. They raised a million dollars for for this candidate or yep. for that candidate. They went on to become president. So um, to me, that 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 you know is an instability in our foreign policy and what we can do. Yes, we know that we have um, foreign careers, foreign service officers that are there to kind of support them. Uh, but I want to make sure that our ambassadors are actually, you know, foreign service leaders that have stood the test of time, that, that know these countries and the leaders and the climate and the culture, and that when times like this come about, we have those people to lean on directly. Yeah, well said. Well, and let's also not forget the whole reason he was impeached was because he turned our State Department into a shadow government that wasn't serving the interests of the United States. They were serving the interests of trying to get Trump reelected, right, in 2020 and the whole Ukraine scandal. So we've already seen that where this president's interests lie. And they don't lie in defending our Constitution and defending our country. They lie in defending and protecting himself and his own interests, right? And that is kind of, you know, why we are at the crisis and at the, you know, at this moment in history that we find ourselves. Um, you know, one other thing I want to get your thoughts on uh, is is just to step back and kind of look how the media covers all this and how the media covers Trump versus how the media covers uh, Democrats. You know, Trump can start illegal wars, put kids in cages, and embolden white supremacists. And the media won't call him far right or extreme. Yet when Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders campaigned for Medicare for all, a Green New Deal and a living wage, the media calls them far left and extreme. Is the corporate media complicit in the right wing takeover of our government? You know, I, I think it goes back to a little bit what I mentioned earlier about, you know, the, the vast amount of money that are in politics and, and where that money goes and, um, and and the lobbyists that are there. And another thing, too, is that, you know, there's a lot of sensationalism going on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and, there, and, and the, the idea of fact-finding becomes less and less because we know Trump has basically, you know, ushered in a new era 
uh, in politics, I think, is unprecedented around, you know, his willingness just to flat out lie over and over again to the point where it, it becomes normal, right? And one thing that, I, that I've said, you know, since he's really became a candidate is that we must not normalize his activity. Right. And, and that's the thing that, that, that really bothers me and scares me the most is that when we start to normalize this, it's like, yeah, you know, a president calls for, you know, a, a foreign government to hack you know, at that time, Secretary Clinton's email system, right? You're inviting terrorist activity. Um, you know, when he does, you know, the example which you, you mentioned earlier um, about what he's done with the with the State Department. Um, you know, all of these things, when it happens over and over and over, there's a normalization that starts to occur. Right. Um, which is why I think that some of these things before, you know, just like um, going back to our kind of our veterans conversation, is the fact that. You know, he took all this money um, from his inauguration and said he was raising all this money from for uh, veterans causes. And then it turns out that, you know, he didn't. And there was very little of that money that was actually raised. It went to any veterans and he was actually, um, you know, sued for that. Right. And um, and any other presidency in the history of this country, that would have been an impeachable offense. That would have been on every news. I think any other president would have had, you know, the 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 I, I think just the overall um respect for the office to step down not this man right right that absolutely won't happen so a part of that i think is, is just that the, the normalcy the other part about it is um yes what we are talking about on 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 the left through our democratic party um, is about things that will uplift embolden and enrich the lives of common everyday american citizens yes right what's being talked about on the republican side will 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 furthermore enrich the 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 materialistic aspect and the and the somewhat the imperialistic aspect of what the ultra rich has. Yes, and, and there's a there's a there's a clear difference between the two. And you know, President Trump likes to a lot of times try to try to find ways to equate you know two sides of things. When when obviously there, there's no equating this, right? You can't you can't go in and say, yeah, well, these people that are carrying tiki torches and and nooses, <laughs> you know, and, and those are bad guys and say, oh well, because there are people protesting against them, they're they're bad because they're protesting, right? We we have to stop that. Um the other aspect of this is when it, truly when it comes down to money, right? Because if we're talking about, you know, having tuition for all, we're talking about, you know, the um Medicare for all you know, any of these issues that we're talking about, raising the minimum wage to a true living wage um, for every single American, the first thing that comes up is, oh, my God, how are we going to pay for these things, right? They're not all planned out. You know, there's, there's no money for it, or we've got to institute some PAYGO-type system, um, where that is absolutely not what we have to have. You know, we have to have um, a bold, these bold, progressive ideas to truly uplift all American citizens, and that's not at all where, where, where the – Republicans are, and therefore that's not where a lot of the the mainstream media, again, going back to sensationalism, right? Um, we talk about war. What's going to happen is, and I mentioned before, no one, I saw something earlier about, you know, that, that Democrats and people on the left are mourning the loss of General Soleimani. And I'm like, what? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear a single person um, say we that. see him for what he is. Yeah. But what we also know is that, you know, the activity and the actions that we take start to start to, uh, you know, unleash a spiral of activity that sooner or later we will not be able to control. Right. So it's like, you know, how do we, how do we pay for Medicare for all? Well, hmm, there's, there's, a, there's a way to do that, which has already been explained. But then when we start talking about having a war, no one starts talking about taxing the rich to pay for a war. Right. Or, or, or even, and no one, and no one asks like, how are we going to pay for these wars? Right. No, because we no just, how we're going to pay for it. We, we, we no just one, do. Yeah. You know, 
or, or the tax, you know, the tax cut, the huge tax cut that he brags about all the time. And no one's ever said like, "Hey, how are we actually paying for that?" I'll tell you how we're paying for that. You know, we're, we're cutting back on on resources that the American citizens need. Yep. You know, across the board, that's how we start to pay for things. We we cut back on on vital resources. You know, the 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 Forestry Service, the EPA. You know, all these things that we need to have in place, have regulations in place to make sure that that the, that the greed that we have. And and I even have a model that I talk about where I say that. You know, we need to make sure that the need of the people um, is prioritized over the greed of the corporations. Yes. And, and that's the dichotomy that we're at in this country right now. You know, uh, unprecedented levels of, of money that are going in from, from industry into lobbying directly to our senators and our, and our House members. Um, and we know what happens with that. that, that is no, we talk about corruption. We're quick to talk about corruption in other countries. You know, we're quick to talk about robbery that exists in other countries. Well, it exists right here, and it's right. completely legal, and, and, it's, and it's called lobbying, and, and it's funneled through corporate tax um, and, and industry that have the money to ensure that, that their corporate profits are going to be protected no matter what. Shareholder value is going to increase quarter after quarter after quarter, and that is what the goal is, right? We saw that with the, with the tax uh, cut. You know, that money did not make it back to you or I or anyone else. Yep. That money you know, went right back into shareholders' pockets, right back into investing more money into corporate lobbying uh, so they can get more things to go their way. So yep. at the end of the day, to kind of to wrap this whole thing up, it, it's truly about you know, the greed of the corporation over the need of the people. And, and that's why those questions don't get asked, because that money flows in uh, to make sure that those things don't get talked about. However, when it's talked about things that we need, the Green New Deal, you know, um, Medicare for All, make sure everyone has a living wage ensuring that we're closing the, the gender gap, the gender pay gap, the minority pay gap. When we're talking about those things, you know, we need to stop this um, mass, mass incarceration that we absolutely must end. You know, things like cash bail, where the amount of money you have in the bank determines how long you spend in jail. Those things, you know, have to stop. But those, unfortunately, those are things that are underpinned by corporate greed. Yes. Well, and, and part of the problem is the corporations and billionaires, right, they also own our media. So they're driving the conversations and they're driving the conversations that help them, not that help the people. And like you said, with lobbying, it's the same thing, right? They're taking money, giving it to lobbyists, and then lobbyists are using that to put into the coffers of the, our politicians. And so then when it's time to write the legislation, the legislation that gets, that, gets, that gets drafted isn't legislation that's benefiting the people. It's legislation that's benefiting the corporations and the billionaires. And then right. the, the, you know, this is where we find ourselves. Another irony of all of it, right, is that Trump ran for president. Let's, let's remind people. Trump ran for president saying that he was going to drain the swamp, right? He was going to end the corruption. Well, we all know how that story turned out. It turns out, you know, Donald Trump took our rigged system that's already rigged for corporations and billionaires, and he rigged it even more for corporations and billionaires, right? He didn't drain the swamp. He filled it with alligators and the biggest swamp monsters Washington has ever seen. Um, uh, real quick, I want to transition to our next segment because it's actually right on the money here. Um, you know, our taxpayer dollars, we got to remind people, our taxpayer dollars are funding these endless wars when they could be funding universal health care. America would rather blow up other countries than take care of our own citizens. We are literally putting bombs over health care. My question for you, Michael, is how did our nation become so reckless 
and so out of balance and how do we become better than this because we can we have to be better than this yeah i think um i i look back on a, on a couple of things and and really it depends on how far you want to go back because if you want to know the truth of it you know our our country was was founded out of conflict right founded out of implicit biases that we have amongst yes. different races and classes of people and to a certain extent that's never ever gone away so we do we, we have to address that you know it just didn't come out of anywhere right, right. It didn't come out of nowhere um you know th- this has unfortunately been woven into the fabric of our country from the very beginning inequalities have always existed amongst people and there have always been people there to ensure that those inequalities continue to exist um, in a way of, you know, haves and, and have nots. And we always talk about, you know, the growing middle class ensuring that, that more people can do better and that, that generations that come after us can, you know, can do better and our children will have a better life than we've had. And what, but what we have found out that there has been prosperous times and, and those prosperous times see the good and the bad, um, has really started to decline. And it's really based on, on a few things. Um, one, we go back to the, to the corporate greed here when we look at, uh, the wealth gap that exists within this country. Yes. And, and that's one of the indicators that I look at going back from, you know, the 50s, 60s, and 70s and on to the day, how this wealth gap between, you know, the, the, what I like to say, the, the janitor, the guy that sweeps the floor, um, the guy that washes his dishes to the guy that's on, on the top floor in the executive offices. If you look at that wealth gap that's continued to grow year after year after year after year, um, that has been the differentiator, you know, a- allowing minimum wage to just get so far behind to where, you know, um, it's, it's at probably its lowest point now, buying power wise than it's ever been. Yep. Well, it was so interesting, you know, that since we were at the end, we just ended a decade, there was the, you know, start of the decade, end of the decade memes. And I think the meme that hit and went the most yeah. viral was at the start of the decade, the minimum wage was 725. And at the end of the decade, the minimum wage was 725. So in the last 10 years alone, the minimum wage has, the federal minimum wage hasn't even moved. Meanwhile, corporations and billionaires are raking in more and more money. And it's, you're right, that is the problem. It is the greed. You know, I always say Trump is not the disease. Trump is the symptom. The The disease in America is greed. And it's corrupted our political system. It's corrupted our healthcare system. Um, it's corrupted our economy. And that's where we find ourselves right now in this time of complete unrest. It's almost like a second Gilded Age. Yeah. No, there's no doubt. I, you know, <clears throat> when people ask me that, I, and, and first of all, I'll turn it to Georgia a little bit because in Georgia, our minimum wage is $5.15 an hour. Wait, wait, um, wait, 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 stop. <laughs> say that again, please, very slowly. Wait, what did you just say? Yes. In Georgia, where I'm running for Congress, our minimum wage is $5.15 an hour. That is criminal. Yeah. Now, what happens is they wow. do this in this case for the federal minimum wage because it wasn't for that every Georgian would still be making $5.15 as a minimum wage. Wow. Um, and so, you know, we, we've actually had opportunities and times to try to at least symbolically raise it to the minimum wage, right? Um, but <sighs> there is there's still opposition to, to even do that. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, this inequality, we really, I, I look at it across a few things. Number one, I, I mentioned racism, right, which is yep. just grained into the heart and fabric of this country. And then um, there's, there's the greed that exists really over corporations that is squeezed out, um, you know, mom and pop shops, you know, entrepreneurial a- activity, 
and really cause these corporate, you know, quarter over quarter profits to supersede everything else. You know, I know people, I, I talk to people on Mountain Campaign Trail uh, that's gone, you know, it's hard to find someone that's been on the same job now for, for 10, 20 years or so. Um, but what we're ha- finding out is that pensions are going away, right? Mm. Uh, opportunities for upward mobility is shrinking. Mm. Um, we already know that, that wage increases have continued to decline. Um, any type of other benefits that may have been out there at one point in time seem to be going away because all the motive that companies have now are, are, are firmly planted on increasing shareholder value. So all of those other opportunities that companies did give at one point in time has gone away. So that, that's racism. That covers greed. And then the, then the other thing is neglect. Right. And when I talk about neglect, I talk about, you know, how our how our government, how our system has neglected, you know, first and foremost, our veterans, you know, because it's all lip service now. You know, it's all around pageantry and when things come out. Right. But, but when veterans truly need help, you know, when there's services that we need on the ground, when veteran suicides, you know, are still happening every single day, when the level of veteran homelessness um, is, is, is at an inadequate level. And by the way, that level of homelessness should be zero. Right. And, and no one's for Thank veterans, you. Thank you. Everyone. Right. So when we when we talk about even when Democrats and we talk about our and progressives, we talk about our bold policies, you know, housing for all should have um, policies included in there for homelessness as well. Right. It's not enough just to talk about affordable housing. Yes, we have to have affordable housing, but we have to completely eradicate homelessness. We can. We have the wherewithal and, and we, we have the capacity within this country to do it. And so we must do it. That's part of that neglect as well. We neglect our seniors. Right, right now, we have senior citizens that are working, uh, you know, well into their golden years. A lot of them, for no other reason than to have health care, mm. right? Um, we're, we're neglecting them. You know, the, 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 the home health um, services, the, um, the senior centers, you know, these are – in my county, where, where I did serve as chairman of the Democratic Party, you know, we've had situations within our county to where um, Republicans held down uh, uh, tax levels artificially, right, to be able to brag about having low taxes, and then at the same time, turn around and raising fees on senior citizen centers, mm. right? So, so you know, it's, it's, it's the most uh, heartbreaking thing you can do to take, you know, your seniors that are on fixed incomes, and, but to have a political poise to hold down taxes, um, you know, and, and keep home taxes low, they will do that and then turn around and raise fees on seniors for their, for their you know, um, for their community centers, for their outreach engagements, for all these type of things. So we've neglected our, our veterans, we've neglected our seniors. Um, flout, now we've, we've neglected our homelessness, our poor people. You know, we're at the time now, we really don't even want to say the word poor. Yeah. Right? yeah. Let's, call it, let's call it what it is. Thank you. They're poor people, you know, and, and they're poor people that literally, and, and, and there are a lot of people out there that are poor that actually work. Well, you know, right? I'm glad you said that because a lot of people, you're right. You're absolutely right. And you want to know what the stat is? I just looked it up a few weeks ago. Right now in America, while you're listening to this podcast, there are 40 million Americans who are yeah. living in poverty. So when you yeah. say we've forgotten to talk about the poor, we've forgotten to talk about 40 million Americans. And it also ties in with Trump's BS because on the campaign trail, Trump would talk about the forgotten men and women of yeah. America. You know, that these white, you know, working class people were the forgotten men and women of America. Uh, no, no, no. Let's have a reality check here. The forgotten men and women in America are the Ameri- are the 40 million Americans who are living in poverty, right? Many of them disproportionately people of color. That is the forgotten people in America. And we need a government and a Congress that works for them, not that works for these corporations and billionaires. 
Yeah, you know, you're, you're exactly right. I, another stat that, that falls into that same thing, because, you know, President Trump likes to talk about these, uh, these historic lows in unemployment, right? And unemployment within, within, within African Americans, within Hispanics, and all that. But the fact of the matter, too, is, you know, you can slice and dice these numbers uh, however you want them. <clears throat> and, and you made a very good point about the number that you brought up. There's also 5 million people that are working, somewhere around 5 million people that are actually working part-time, but actually want and need full-time work. Right. So well, if we take them out of the equation, that's adding another 5 million people that are basically unemployed, that are, that are underemployed, right, that need full-time work, um, that basically cannot provide for themselves and their family based on this part-time work that they're getting when they actually need full-time work. Right. Well, and here's the other thing about the unemployment rate. The unemployment rate doesn't capture the fact that some people are having to work two and three jobs, yeah. right? Just to survive. Gig jobs. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And the other, you know, here's the other part, you know, in America, it's considered quote unquote extreme to pay a worker a living wage. But it's not extreme that CEO pay has grown over a thousand percent over the last 40 years. Yeah. Also, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, income inequality just hit a 50 year high. Right. And the inequality in our economy is hitting communities of color even harder. You look at the racial wealth gap. The racial wealth gap right now is at the is almost at the point where it was right before the civil rights movement. You know, so the, this booming economy that the Republicans and Trump like to tout, who is this economy booming for, right? It's booming for corporations and billionaires, but it's not booming for everyday Americans. And that's why I think the real opportunity to beat Trump is having a candidate who wants to make the economy work for everyday Americans and work for Main Street, not the economy that works for Wall Street and corporations. They're already doing great. That's right. That's right, without a doubt. And, and you know, and that, that, that gets to the heart of, of my campaign and, and why I'm running. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm still someone who still works every single day. Um, you know, mm. I, I don't know when the last time I've slept. <laughs> 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 but between, you know, working a full-time job, again, I, I work in cybersecurity, which is a whole other aspect yeah. of this, of understanding the threats uh, that are that are upon us today, and the, the lack of understanding that Congress truly has about what's going on. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, just how serious the aspect of cyber warfare, you know, so we were talking about war earlier, cyber warfare, but also cyber crime, right, which, yeah. is, which is just completely gotten out of control. Um, you know, the, the aspects that we have of, um, you know, cyber breaches and, you know, ransomware and, and all that type of stuff. I mean, there, that's, a, that's a whole other conversation that we don't have time to get into today, but, uh, but that's obvious one of the reasons that I'm running. Um, but, but to directly talk about why I'm running and take it from an aspect of me chairing, you know, what I actually grew into the largest uh, Democratic county uh, party in the state of Georgia, to leave that to, to run for Congress was really built around the fact that, you know, um, there's, an, there's an incumbent that, uh, that I'm running against in office that has, uh, has been in office for quite some time, 15, 16 years, um, but is, is hand-in-cheek um, completely there with corporate lobbyists, right? Mm. I mean, during the first half of this campaign, I think up until June, like he didn't have a, he had 11 individual donors, right? Uh, the rest of that money was all come from corporate PACs. Right. 98.4% right? of, of all funding that his campaign had uh, came from corporate PACs, unlike mine, which, as you know, I'm not accepting any corporate PAC money. You know, we're, we're campaigning that's 100% people-powered. Um, so when you have a campaign, you only have 11 individual donors. You're a 16-year incumbent. Um, and, and matter of fact, none of those 11 donors actually came within the district. 
Wow. You, know, you look at things like that. You know, you look at the fact that we haven't had a corporate town hall in over 10 years wow. now. Wow. Right? Your district has not years. had a had a town hall in 10 years? He has not. The last time he had a town hall was December 2009, and it was a, it was a complete debacle because it was about the ACA. Now, this was, you go back, remember, right? This was, this was when the ACA was being adopted. Mm-hmm. And, um, there was there was a, a doctor that showed up that was asking some questions around the the ACA and and Congressman Scott got got highly irate and started yelling and screaming at the guy that he was a Republican plant. Um, turned out the guy wasn't a plant; he was actually a doctor who actually did live in the district and was a constituent. Uh, and that made some national headlines back then. So he just decided that I just won't do any more town halls. And and that's the last one he's done. So you know, my my prospect in this is you know that we can we you know we have to hold people accountable. And unfortunately or fortunately, that means holding you know Democrats accountable as well. And in situations like this, where we have you know primaries and people asking why I run, why I get in this race, is because when you have incumbents that become dependent on corporate PAC money, not only as you talked about before, how that money flows in. You know, and, and causes legislation to get written in certain ways. It also does damage because it can silence congressmen. It can silence legislators, right? right? So when they should be speaking out on certain issues, they do not speak out on certain issues. When they should be rallying around legislation like Medicare for All, um, you have someone like like my opponent who's who's actually um, had two opportunities to co-sponsor Medicare for All in the past, and he hasn't done it, and he hasn't said a single word about it this time. You know why? Because his largest um, some of his largest donors, um, you know, are corporate PACs from yep. where? From from the healthcare industry, right? right. Um, and from insurance companies. So when when you have insurance companies that are you know writing you checks week after week, um, you know that's going to take a, a stance where you're going to do the thing that representatives should not do. You're going to take that corporate money, and you're going to either vote the way they want, or you're going to stick stick around in complete silence. Meanwhile. There are counties within my district that have some of the start largest levels of uninsured people in our state. Right. Well, I sometimes I sometimes wish people used a little bit more common sense with politics. It's like, I mean, do the math, people. If if a corporations are giving a Congress member five thousand dollar checks after five thousand dollar checks, who is that Congress member going to represent? Right. Versus exactly. if someone's running for office and they're getting three dollar donations from their constituents and from people from everyday Americans that are living in the district, who will that congressperson represent? I mean, it's pretty just common sense right in your face. I think sometimes we, you know, look, I think the Republican Party is so egregious and so bad on so many issues, and they have been for a very long time, that I think it's given some Democrats in our party, maybe the more moderate wing of our party, license to just kind of sit back and point the finger at Republicans and say, look how bad this party is, which is true, but that doesn't give our party an excuse to settle for status quo politics just because the Republicans are so bad. Because what it, what it means is this gives us a huge opportunity to lead on combating climate change and to lead on, on Medicare for all and on the, health, on the cost of healthcare crisis and to lead on the gun violence crisis, right? And to lead you know, on combating mass incarceration and systemic racism in our country. But, but instead of wanting to lead on the most important issues, we're kind of placating and, and pandering to some more conservative voters thinking that's the path to win. But it's like when you pander like that, you're weakening your own arguments. And I always tell people, like, 
How have you ever heard a, a Republican running for office or running for president that moderates their message to try to appeal to Democrats? No. They shove their values and they fight for their conservative values and they don't budge an inch. Meanwhile, you know, you have some Democrats who think that we need to compromise our values while we're campaigning before we need, we've even met with Republicans to hash out the legislation. And I would just say, no, that's not how you win. How you win is you, you don't compromise your values. You fight for your values, right? Just like the Republicans are fighting for theirs. Because what happens is, is our, our country has just been tipped going further and further to the right because the Republicans have been fighting for their agenda and some of our Democrats haven't been fighting for ours. Yes, you're exactly right, which then, which then makes the things that we're fighting for look, quote unquote, more extreme. Right. When they're absolutely not. Yes. What, what's radical about, you know, wanting to have clean air and clean water to drink? You know, what's what's radical about, you know, wanting everyone to have health care, you know, when they need it, how they need it, you know, um, without, you know, no one should go bankrupt because they get sick. How about that? Right. right? It's a really novel idea. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the whole idea that these things that we're calling for, you know, um, are somehow. Um, you know, extreme and radical, you know, the, the call to, you know, eliminate, you know, marijuana as a, as a Schedule One drug is just, you know, we're putting more and more people um, in jail. I mean, when you look at the, when you look at just the enormity of some of these things that, that America has done, you know, we talk about building out supermax prisons and a number of people that we're locking up through mass incarceration. Right. You know, there's, there's one county in my district um, that per capita has you know, locked up more people than, than, you know, they're like the top five of the world. Wow. Not even in the country, in the world. Wow. Um, you know, and these are systemic problems that we know um, that, that, that one has, has a few of those things, right? Has a tinge of racism to it, has a tinge of, of, um, of greed yeah. to the prison industrial complex. Right? Yeah, they're making um, money yeah. off locking up exactly. these people for, for most know? of them for nonviolent offenses. Nonviolent offenses, right? I mean, you look at people that's been locked up and the keys have been thrown away for, for, for dealing marijuana on street corners. You know, this is, is absurd. You get to the mandatory minimums and three strikes you're out, you know, and all these things that have literally decimated communities, right? These are, this has created intergenerational problems that we now have to deal with, right? And I, and I tell you, we didn't get into this problem, you know, in, in, in one cycle, and we're not going to get out of it in one cycle. But if we do not start electing progressive Dems that are willing to get out there and stand unapologetically on these core issues, then we're not going to be able to move the needle forward. We're not going to be able to move the ball um, because, we're, as you said, we're going we're gonna to fall back to these more centrist um, Democrats that are going to be willing to be complicit with what's going on. Whether um, And I'm going to call it like it is. You know, I call it hush money because when those $5,000 checks, those $10,000 checks start rolling in, it makes it very hard for some of these elected officials um, that, that are used to this money and, and now relying on it um, to, to turn their back and do what they need to do for the actual people that they should be representing. Right. So, you know, this is, this is a systemic issue that I, ha that I see that's prevalent throughout corporations and now through government, and we absolutely have to do something about it. There's no way that, you know, that we could talk about, you know, fair housing programs. We can talk about restorative justice, you know, because once we realize we push the push needle far enough to where we can stop this mass incarceration, we're, we're locking up more people than anywhere else in the world. So we lock them up and then we let them out, then what happens? Right. We have to make sure there's restorative justice that, that's involved in that as well. Um, so people can start to have some dignified life. You know, I was I was speaking at a 
um, at a job fair for um, people that 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 are they're, um, had been released from incarceration. And you know, the most inspiring thing about that about that job fair was, unlike a lot of job fairs out there, and 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 my opponents known for doing these job fairs that are highly ineffective. I actually went to a job fair that was very effective because they dealt specifically with uh, ex-offenders and with people that were willing to hire them, mm. right? Uh, people that were willing to give them this chance and this opportunity to, to regain a bit of their dignity, right? Because, you know, we talk about people that, and with the assumption also that they're guilty, when, when we also know that uh, because of implicit bias and racism in this country, that, you know, there's a lot of people that are incarcerated that are never guilty, right? you know? Um, and we don't even mean going to prison, just sometimes detained in a local city or county jail and, you know, if you can't afford bail, you're going to sit in jail, you know, as long as it takes. And, you know, sooner or later, you're going to wind up losing your job. You're going to lose that car. You're going to lose your apartment or house. Um, and, you know, all this starts to become a problem. So, you know, to sum this up, we've got to have people that are willing to run for office, that are willing to run, you know, in, in red Republican districts, that are willing to run against, uh, you know, fellow Democrats that are not getting the job done and truly representing the people so we can start to bring about some of this change. And, yes, they're big, they're bold ideas. Um, you know, it takes a lot of courage to run on some of these things because the media isn't going to support it. You know, you have people from the – we know from the right wing who absolutely, you know, is, is going to fight these with in tooth and nail every way they can – and then, you know, within our, within our democratic population, from what I found out, you know, is that we have to lead on what the actual policies are. Mm. You know, you know and, I, and I say that because people ask, well, hey, are you supporting, you know, Senator Sanders? Are you supporting Senator Warren? You know, are you supporting, you know, um, uh, Andrew Yang for president? And I said, you know, uh, not to be selfish, but I'm supporting Michael Owens for Congress, right? Yeah, um, yeah exactly. <laughs> You know, that is what I'm doing. Now, how I align with their policies is what's important with them when I'm at a constituent's door. Because the policies are what's going to ultimately lead us, we hope, we all hope, to, to what drives people to the ballot box and go vote. So, you know, when I go to doors, I talk about, you know, making sure that we're, we're going to have health care for every single American. We're going to, you know, end mass incarceration. We're going to talk about the real aspects of climate change because, you know, when I started my campaign, off from initially, not only did I talk about climate change, but I also talked about environmental justice, mm. right? Because you talked earlier about how some policies, you know, um, affect minorities and poor people more than others. Yes. Well, you know, climate change is also one of those. Yep. And what I think gets lost in this climate change discussion is that we talk about, you know, um, the sea level rising, you know, you know, 2.3 meters over the next 100 years. And we talk about, you know, um, the average temperature rising 3.2 centigrade over the next five years. I want to tell you, that means very little to the people in the street and at the doors, right? So, you know, finding a way to, to bring that home in a way that means something to them. So when we talk about, you know, the temperatures rising, you know, I talk about the number of heat strokes going up every year. Mm -hmm. right? mm. We talk about how people that live in, um, in certain areas, you know, may not have air conditioner. If they do, if the air conditioner breaks, they don't have money to actually get it fixed. You know, their home would least likely to be as, as weatherized, right? So um, it's going to make their bills go up a lot more than it would in other areas. You know, uh, minorities and, and poor people are much more likely to actually work outside, right? So this, this increase in heat is going to directly affect them. So bringing this back to a, to a, a situation where it's going to uh, really impact and have more of an understanding about what's going on with climate change, but we have to have the discussions at these doors, and it can't be about, you know, all about presidential politics. You know, it has to be about 
how those policies are going to affect people at the end of the day in their homes. And, and so that's what the goal is about. So I, I'm not saying that at all in a selfish way when I say it's about, you know, Michael Lowens for Congress. Um, but it's about how, how Michael Lowens for Congress is going to uh, wrap himself in this campaign, wraps ourselves around the actual people of our district and, and talk to the issues that they're directly having and being willing to go out there and rally around and, and really stand on these, on these issues. If you look at my website and you look at the platform, um, I'm very proud of what this platform is and things that we're talking about, you know, throwing in uh, comprehensive immigration reform as well and also talking about, you know, bringing in more money for our teachers and building more collaborative, you know, communities so that we can help, you know, our students, you know, to make sure. So we talk about this prison. Uh, I mean, we talk about, you know, making sure that we have college for all. But we also have to make sure we stop this, you know, school to prison pipeline. Yes. Because if we don't have kids, you know, that, that actually can make it to college, um, you know, never mind, you know, going to college and how, how expensive college is. We've got to make sure we're doing the right things, you know, in K through 12 to, so they can actually get to college. Yes. So, again, you know, I'm, I'm proud of this platform we've kind of built. I think it, it, it speaks to average everyday citizens. It speaks to the people, um, not corporations, not billionaires, not the ultra rich. And, and I definitely think that when we start talking about all these issues – these are things that are going to uplift all of us, right? Yes. These are things well, that we can all benefit by, and also it will benefit our economy. Yes. Right. And I think a lot of people miss that aspect. You know, whether it's talking about you know immigration reform, or we're talking about um, bringing more qualified people into the workforce. Um, you know, we just talk about people in the workforce general. I mean, it's it's a it's a good opportunity um, to talk about certain districts. You know, my district is one where you know we definitely could use a lot more high paying jobs a lot more uh, technical jobs that we could bring in to raise that, that level um, of society overall. Yeah. Uh, but we've got to have people that's willing to go out there and push for it. Yes. Well, one, I'm glad what you said about that last part, that progressive policies – here's the thing with progressive policies, and you're right. We have to get out there on the local level, at the district level, as you are, and at the national level. But progressive policies lift up everyday people. They lift yes. up communities of color. And one thing I'm glad you said it about the, about the economy is – our, our metrics for the economy, the stock market, that measures the economy for corporations and billionaires and people who own stocks. Well, guess what? Half of America doesn't even own stocks. Exactly. And the, what, what, we so, what we miss so much in these conversations is that it's not the corporations and billionaires who power the economy. It's the working people. It's the working class who powers the economy. Who's That's going right. to Starbucks to buy lattes? That's who's right. going to Target to buy products, right? Who's yeah. going to buy automobiles? It's the working people. So when there's more money in the pockets of working people, the economy does better. But right now we have an economy that's, that's so tilted for, and rigged for the people at the rich. And that's why the economy ends up busting. And that's why the stock market, we go through these boom and bust cycles in our economy. Because the moment the money, it doesn't, the money won't trickle down. And as soon as there's not money in the pockets of everyday Americans, then the economy starts to bust because they're not, they're the ones going out to restaurants and shops and stuff, right? A billionaire can only eat at one restaurant. But when you filter that money into everyone else's pockets, millions of people are going out every night to restaurants. And so there's just, there's just a complete disconnect. Um, I want to ask you real quick though, our time is running up here. Um, you know, in the recent CBS poll, uh, Sanders is surging now in Iowa and New Hampshire. And as we've seen throughout this entire race, the energy is with the more progressive candidates and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Um, is the center of our party becoming out of touch with the struggles of everyday Americans? And rather than attack progressive policies, shouldn't they be harnessing this energy if they really want to win in 2020? 
Well, again, as, as someone who has led, you know, been a leader within Democratic within the Democratic Party, um, who still currently serves as a as a elected member within the party, um, I, I think I have a really unique insight um, as to how it is, and now running as a progressive candidate. And I and I believe you're absolutely right. I think that um, without a doubt, the progressive area within the party has the momentum, um, has the um, the, the, the true center, I, I think the true center of the party is much further left than what many of the established Democrats will let on to. But Agreed. There's a, very, there, there's, a, there's a very clear reason for that, and that is because the, the powers that be within the Democratic Party have held their positions, had their positions for a long time, and they want to stay in power. Right. Okay? So the only way they stay in power is to convince everyone that the progressive, you know, uh, the progressive movement isn't a true real movement that has any gut and it has any wind behind them. Because when they do, they will start falling over like dominoes, right? They will start losing their seats. And I will tell you, I mean, even with, with, with AOC, you know, and, and, and her dramatic win over, over Crowley, um, you know, there's plenty of other places within the country where that could happen. But the reason that it has not in, 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 in multiple folds is because you have these established Democrats that want to hold on to their, to their spots. And, and I, don't, I don't simply mean, uh, you know, uh, con- uh, congressmen and senators or, or congresspeople and senators. I also mean, you know, local elected people. I'm talking about county um, party leadership, state-level leadership, to where they've kind of came up through this system of, of what we now call centrist Democrats, right, or moderate Democrats. Um, but as, as the right has moved further to the right, um, it, it seems to pull a lot of stuff along with it. And so it makes the things that we're staking our claim to and saying, oh, well, you're moving just as far left. No, we're not, right? What, what we're doing is calling for average, everyday, mainstream Democratic policies that work for everyone. And right. what I do when people say that, I refer them back to the, to the, the page for the platform for the Democratic Party, all right? And if you go back to that page and you you, you read through the actual platform of the Democratic Party, and then you look at the candidates that are running, it becomes very clear to you that the progressive wing of this party is where our mainstream politics are. Right. Well, when you talk about power, I'm so glad you just brought that up, is power, you know, the last time I checked, the first three words in the Constitution were we the people, Right. Not we the corporations or we the billionaires or even we the Republicans, certainly not we the Trumps and not even we the Democrats. It's we the people. And so the whole goal for me of the progressive movement and why I'm a progressive activist is because the goal is to is to get right now all the power is consolidated with the corporations and the billionaires. And then you've got the politicians who are basically helping these corporations and billionaires retain the power. And the true mission for me and what progressive policies mean is putting that power and putting it back into the hands of the people. That's how we restore this democracy. That's how we make America great for the first time ever. Because the power has never truly been in the hands of the people in this country. That's right. Like when you talk about going back to the beginning of our country and how we were founded in this in slavery and the systemic racism. So that's the fights. And they're big fights. I get it. And a lot of the fights, it's scary for people. But I'm so glad you're running, Michael, because you hit the nail on the head. It's about having courage. And I'm so grateful that you have the courage to run for office. You have the courage to, to challenge an incumbent. And you have the courage to represent the people. That's what it's about, having the courage to get out there and fight for everyday Americans. Yeah, I think that's what it has to be about. I mean, that, at, at the end of the day, that's why I'm in this race. Um, I know we have an opportunity within this country to truly turn things around. 
um, e- electing more progressives. And I'll tell you really quickly about my view. And, and when people ask me why, why I say I'm a progressive Democrat and what that means, um, it's for a long time being a Democrat, it's been about, um, I, I do believe it's been about equality, right? And been about uplifting people. Um, but it's, you know, I, I grew up, you know, as, as an African American in the South, where my mother and father are telling me, you know, hey, you've got to be, you've got to be twice as good, right? You've got to be mm. twice as smart. You got to, you got to study twice as much. Right. You got to make sure, you know, you, you, you can't afford the opportunity to, to get in trouble, to get ensnared, hanging out with the wrong people. Um, so, you know, for a long time, we've, we've had this thing about being, being twice as good or working twice as hard or whatever that may be from, from a minority standpoint. Um, you know, so, so those things ushered in things like, um, quotas, right, and affirm, affirm, affirmative action, um, and, and things to, to try to say that, hey, we can force some level of equality, we can force some level of inclusion, right, busing and all this kind of stuff. And, and where I'm at now is that this is, this is 2020, right? This is 2020. The time is done for, you know, um, ensuring that we can, you know, basically you're giving me some faster shoes to put on so I can run through a maze, through a rouse through a mouse trap or mouse maze um, faster or just as fast as someone else who's running a straight line. Right. right. And so at this point in time, I'm going, you know, don't give me a track suit. Don't give me faster shoes. Right. Or don't give me, you know, three spots in a, in a, in a express lane. Right. What I want to do is tear down those barriers. Right. I mean, I no one should have to be running through a mouse trap. Right. I mean, yes, we understand that some people are, are born with silver spoons in their mouth and you know what, that that's fine for them. That's, that that's the family they, they happen to be born into. Um, but average everyday Americans have to have a shot, right? They have to have an opportunity to where the playing field is leveled, no matter what color you are, no matter what race you are, no matter, no matter where you come from. That is the true greatness of this country, right? right? And that is the greatness this country was founded on. And if we don't go back to adopting those principles in the true nature, because remember, going back to the Constitution, we talk about we the people, and we talk about you know everything that was in, in the Constitution and the and the, and the, and the um, Declaration of Independence. Even at that time, did not speak for all people, right? Did not speak for minorities. Did not speak for women. So we've got to reach that last milestone in this country. If you want to make America great again, you know we truly have to tear down those last vestiges, you know, of of um, of. of I don't want to call it bondage. We have to tear down those last vestiges, you know, of, of constraints that we have for people. Right. Um, because then our, our country truly can become great. We can truly, you know, start to do those things. We eradicate those things. You know, no longer can we just say, hey, we want, you know, we need to have a quota here to make sure that we force, you know, um, certain number of minorities into the C-suite, right? Or certain right. number of people to go into this area. You know, we tear down those boundaries and we allow that everyone can. Right. Well, that, when you, that's really what it's about. And when you talk about tearing down boundaries, tearing down barriers and, and boundaries are absolutely right. But what I think, and the last thing I'll just say is, is, is progressive policies like universal health care and universal child care and universal public college, what those are is those are tools that allow people and give people opportunity to succeed in this country, right? Exactly. That gives them mobility so they can go out and they can make capitalism work for them and they can make the yes. economy work for them. It's laying the yep. tools at their feet. Um, Michael, I've really enjoyed our conversation. How can people follow your race for Congress? Um, you know, what's your, what's your Twitter handle for, for our listeners? Sure. So my Twitter handle is um, Owens4GA13, O-W-E-N-S-F-O-R-G-A-13. Awesome. Um, so we're, we're active definitely on Twitter. And what's your um, website? Our website is www.owensforcongress, O-W-E-N-S-F-O-R, congress.com. Amazing. Well, I really enjoyed our conversation today, and thank you for, for getting out there and having the courage to run for office.
I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the show. Happy to come on at any time. Keep doing a great job you're doing, guys. We need voices like you out there um, spreading the message, talking about progressive policies, um, and and basically highlighting candidates like myself. So thanks for the work that you guys are doing. All right, you bet. Thank, thank you, Michael. Michael. All right, thank you. Have okay, bye bye. All right, that was great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we close out the show today, we've got to tell you about Plexiderm. Mm-hmm. Yep, Plexiderm. What's hey. your tagline? Uh, uh, oh, what is my tagline? You say New Year, oh, old new- face. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and new, I and I say new year new face. Exactly, because of Plexiderm. Right. Yeah. No more wrinkles. Nope. It is a uh it's a it's a little serum. You put it underneath your eyes. Yeah. It gets rid of the bags yep. and the wrinkles. And it's clear, so it's instantly. Uh, yeah. yep. And they have been one of the main sponsors of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. And we appreciate them we for it. We are so grateful for them. Yeah. Uh so if you want to, you know, give yourself a fresh new look in the new year, yeah. please go to triplexiderm.com and use my code sexyliberal for 50% off plus an extra $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning code SEXYLIBERAL. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use code SEXYLIBERAL at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com, code SEXYLIBERAL. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Amped Up with Proud Resistor. Uh, if you want to tweet about the episode today, you can go to Twitter and use the hashtag Amped Up. That's and right. Chris or I will retweet you. Yeah. And uh, make sure you go to also go to sexyliberal.com. You can check out all the other great podcasts we have on the network. Got some great podcasts. And we do. if you're not subscribing, you're missing you're out. missing out on the best progressive voices in the country. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again, guys. 2020. A new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.